Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Stereo G speaks volumes. Hello, Stereo G here. And we have a special guest on the show today. This is a... Uh, a, a new friend, a, a, a DJ, a person I've been a fan of for a long time and um, recently connected on Instagram. And um, I think we've got something really interesting to discuss. But before we do that, I must introduce the guests uh, in LA. It's Kittens. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I think uh, I was just saying before we, we started recording, you know, uh, I've been following along with your journey for so long and it was kind of nice sometimes with what I'm doing online and the people that I admire, you know, showing love and and being able to like connect. And I think that what, you know, seeing what you've done over the years has been really cool and inspiring. So I appreciate you doing this. But um, for for those of you, for those that uh, aren't familiar with your, your work, how do you, how do you, you do a lot of things, which I guess is the point these days that a lot of people do. Like we do a yeah. lot of things. Like how do you describe or tell people, you know, what what, what do you tell people in the, the cab driver, for instance? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I kind of define myself based on like what I started doing first and then the little things that have tacked on to my like identity or career are like the hyphen after the hyphens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so DJ first, I started DJing professionally in like 2011, I think, Mm -hmm. um, I was in college and then I started producing music. Then I started teaching charity DJ workshops for women and queer people. And then I started a podcast and then, um, now I'm investing in restaurants that are opening. I don't, we took a left turn, but it's really fun. I saw like that. Like one opening this weekend. I'm so psyched. I saw that. Hudson something. Yeah. One is Hudson House that opened already. And then the second one is called Drake's and that's opening this week. Wow. Like I did the walkthrough yesterday. I know this is like a, a left turn already, but we won't stay too long here. How's that, how does that happen? <laughs> it actually is all tied into DJing still. So. Uh. Back in uh, 2011, I was in college still. I was studying marketing. I was DJing on the side. And um, I also did talent buying, DJ booking, and DJed at this club in Hollywood. Okay. And so in that, I basically was like dealing with all the managers mm-hmm. like of the club. And I stayed good friends with everybody still throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And one of them moved over to a hospitality company. And mm-hmm. he's the director of hospitality. And he's like, you know, they have all these restaurants in Texas. They're expanding to L.A. And he's like, you got to get in on this. Like, it's going to be amazing. And I know you're paranoid about, you know, spending money or investing in things. Because when you're self-employed, it's like, it's scary to do anything like that. But he was like, it's foolproof. Like, you're good. So I was like, 
okay, I trust you. You know me. I've known you forever. Like I trust you. And so. Wow. You're a mogul. Yeah. I saw yeah. this. I saw the, the, these things on Instagram and I'm like, damn, like there's no two ways when you see someone investing in restaurants. You're like, that's, that's, that's serious, serious stuff. You know? I feel so fucking adult. Like. <laughs> never I've never felt adult in my entire adulthood just like DJing and touring around and just having fun and now I'm like oh shit this is this is adult shit yeah yeah well I'll let you know once I put a dollar in and I can I can join the club <laughs> yeah yeah um well the, the, your career has been illustrious and the, the things that you've you just touched on just then it's so interesting from from one thing to another to to charity and and speaking up and speaking about different things and I guess it's probably worth at this point introducing what we're here to talk about which I think is I appreciate the conversation we had because like this podcast is very much like me talking to myself and talking to the audience and thinking about things that relate to music and I think my audience especially is like really interested in well obviously huge music fans as we all are but like what goes into that and where does it come from and where is the heart and soul and things don't just pop out of nowhere there's a lot of people behind the scenes there's a lot of uh things that get to that moment so really the theme of this episode is loosely um creating culture and cultural institutions and um when i put the question to you about like all right usually i have a thesis and i just kind of roll with that and um, I've tried that on with a few different guests and some people find it hard because it's like, well, I don't like not everyone thinks like me and not everyone's like, I wonder how that relates to that. But you immediately yeah. um, brought up low end theory, which I've known about from afar for a long time. And um, is the more you spoke about it to me on text, the more it was like, oh, shit, like this is really interesting. So I guess that is the purpose of it. So I guess like before... Uh, we dig into it. I think that for me, it's, I'm always thinking about like culture and music and, and how you, you know, communities have to help each other and that, that you aren't like, if you're just in isolation, it's really hard because you're kind of battling against yourself and the internet. And there are, it feels like fewer and fewer like spaces to, to form communities a question later will be perhaps that's moved online, but like um, low end theory um, has been like a, was an institution that like, you know, bred or, you know, developed a lot of incredible artists that are around now. And uh, I like is where I'm keen to unpack and explore because you, you were part of it and, and all of the in between. So I guess, Low-end theory. Mm. Tell, if you could tell the audience your, uh, what it is, what your experience was with it was and, and you know, some, some people who played there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really, low-end theory really changed my perspective on what, music could be what DJing could be what uh, what things could sound like what I could be um, it really it really broke a lot of molds and I think just opened a lot of people's eyes musically so it was it was a weekly um, 
I feel like even calling it a club night is like really not <laughs> doing it any justice. But it was basically a weekly thing that happened in a really dingy, divey club in East L.A. And um, it was just nuts. Like people would come in there and they would play beats they had just made that day. People would DJ stuff that was just you would never hear together anywhere else from like Dilla beats to psych rock and techno and like literally anything you could think of mm. could all be played together and it would somehow work. It was like it was like abstract musical art for like I, I hope that doesn't sound corny, but mm. like it was just it wasn't something you could experience or hear anywhere at the time. Was and it was it like what time did it start? I think it helped. It was, like, it was club hours. Okay. So it was like, you know, you'd go out at night. It was every Wednesday night and from okay. like 10 to 2 vibes or I don't know, maybe it started a little early. No, it started a little earlier. Mm -hmm. And it was like towards the, like, it got so crazy that the line would start at like maybe 7 or 8 and be down the block. Wow. It was nuts. Like people were just all about it. And it started to get more and more momentum and I mean, some of the the people that played there, it's just insane. But um, it started out as just kind of a place to experiment and mess around and, you know, play music and share what you were working on. Um, and it was very much like a vibe of like Jay Dilla meets like jazz meets electronic music, like wow. all kind of just mushed together. Wow. And all these offshoots of that. And I'm totally probably butchering the explanation of it, but it, it was really like, it was just very different. So the kind of people that um, came from that scene and played there and were just part of it, like I played twice. I went as often as humanly possible. But the people that really started it, um, Daddy Kev started it. He's like the head of Alpha Pup Records and he put it on. Um, and there was a few residents there, like Gas Lamp Killer, um, DJ Nobody, and a couple others. And Flying Lotus was one of their, like, kind of residents. Mm. But he really, like, he was, I would say, like, the star of that scene. Mm -hmm. So he would, you know, come play stuff that he had made that day and wow. just drop all these beats that were just, you know, in this experimental phase and as things got bigger and bigger, you started having Tom York showing up and DJing. You would have Erica Badu pop up. You'd have like, I think Odd Future maybe did one of their first LA shows there. Wow. Like it was, it was a like James Blake is showing up. Like all these people were showing up to just hop up there and play. And it was like, if you know, you know. And they weren't, you know, it wasn't like they were selling tickets, come see Tom York. It was just like word would spread yeah. that he was going to be there and wow. he would just fucking show up. Wow. Was but it, it was really iconic. I know this is a silly question, but was it like, it was it expensive? Was it cheap? Was 10 it bucks. 10 bucks. 10 bucks. It's good to yeah. know. It helps to know because it's like, when we're talking about institutions and these sort of things. It's like, what's so many things are swelling through my mind when you're talking about this stuff about like, who knows, you know, who knows about this, who's invited to this stuff. Like, Wednesday night is really interesting to me as a event mm -hmm. night. Also, like it, I haven't lived in LA, but it feels 
it, it just sounds very LA and I don't know why that is that it's like mm. this moment in time that there's this openness and there's this Wednesday night thing that was popping off like I guess from the how how do you, how does one prepare an audience to kind of like go into a space that is playing all different types of things and things that do people know they're playing unreleased things? Are people just there vibing? Like how, how do people like go into a space when you go to a club night, you generally you're having drinks, you're having a dance and, and that's about it. This feels very much more open-minded. Yeah. It compared to other, especially at the time compared to other clubs you would go to, people were going to clubs to like hear songs they knew and dance and have fun with their friends and like do whatever. But this almost felt more like you were signing up for an experience and you were grateful for whatever you got to experience that wow. night. And people still have fun. Like, you know, they go get their drinks and like have fun with their friends. And they, they just always knew it was going to be an amazing experience, whether you're hearing stuff that like you're turning up to and like partying mm. or you're like, holy fuck, this is like a major I don't know, like eye-opening experience or you're discovering new stuff that you just had never heard before and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, who's this person that's playing or what is this music? I've never heard anything like this. Yeah. It's just you knew you were coming for an experience that you really couldn't get anywhere else. Was it a – Is it was it almost more like a concert? Like are you there dancing or are you there like to be like oh my gosh they just dropped this and then I've never heard something like this before like how are you bodily more, interacting with it I feel like it was much more like like concerty vibes ah. but it was really like this place was so fucking run down and like it was downstairs was this little bar and then you had to go up these stairs that I'm like there's I don't know how the fire marshal didn't shut it down because <laughs> it was just so sketchy and it was this upstairs area that was so hot. It got to the point where people would like pass out sometimes because it was just so hot and stuffy. Uh. And eventually they expanded to this like back area. It was almost like a big backyard. But um, but yeah, it was like there was this upstairs area. There was no like, um, I don't know, it was just upstairs and there was just this little stage in the front and everyone just would kind of like post up and, and watch. And if it was danceable vibes, people would be dancing. If it was just something to listen to and experience, people would just absorb whatever that was. And it was, I think something important about it was the part of town it was in, mm -hmm. very much not a like Hollywood-esque part of town. Mm -hmm. This was a... Now it's it's much more like gentrified, I'd say. But at the time, it was east east ish. Is it considered East LA? Actually, fuck, I don't remember. That's a good question. I think it's East LA. Mm. <laughs> Just a, a part of LA that was not where the average person would go to like hit a club. It was a you know a bar on a street and it was very accessible and you'd have so many different types of people there. Like you couldn't be like, this is the type of person that goes there. Everybody looked different. Oh, wow. Everyone's from, you know, different racial backgrounds, different socioeconomic mm. backgrounds. Mm. It was really just a like total melting pot. The ex when you say accessible, like what I'm gathering from this is like, it wasn't in some like 
really hairy, intense part of town that people felt unsafe. It was just like we're going somewhere that's like just didn't fit in with those places that kind of like, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to like almost like reverse engineer, like it part, did it help that it was in a place that just felt like not intimidating to go to? Yeah, I think mm. very much not intimidating. Wow. And it was, I feel like there also wasn't a feeling of um, social hierarchy that mm. a lot of club spaces have, especially these days, you know, like bottle service and sparklers and, you know, paid, get on the guest list or you can't come in or you're not dressed well. It yeah. was really just like fucking come one, come all. You want to listen to some cool shit? Line up. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like you had to pay $1,000 for a table. It was same amount for everybody. And you, whoever, first come, first serve. Yeah. Once capacity is hit, that's it. What, Sorry. What sort of capacity do you think it was? Fuck. Before they expanded to like the outside area, it was, I, I couldn't tell you, but it was not big. Mm. I'm so bad at guessing capacity, but it, it felt like a, like a house party level of, People, yeah. that's really a bad way to describe that's capacity. Cool. Um, but yeah, not not big, but definitely like enough people to vibe. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, I think what's interesting about this podcast and the, the audience that I have is like, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One, we don't know who's listening, but two, a lot of them are, are young and a lot of them are trying to find their space within a music community, either, either as a musician, as a DJ, as a person, as a fan of music. And um, I think hearing these things about like it was small or like at, at the start or whatever, it felt accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, it, even you saying it was dingy was enlightening to me because I only read about it from the blogs and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh shit, this happened at Low End Theory. That sounds crazy. And you just imagine in your head, like, L.A., Flying Lotus. It's like, it's some really impressive, shiny thing, right? Oh, no. <laughs> it was one of those places that the bathroom is covered in, like, stickers and graffiti, like, Sharpie written all over the walls. And just, like, you know, it was it was grimy, wow. but it was, like, endearing. And it's becoming, like, I don't want to overstate because, like, music historians might come after me, but, like, how there was, like, CBGBs and stuff. Low End Theory is, like, only growing in its its mythology, I guess, or its, like, yeah. notoriety. And I think, um, I guess, you know, to finish that thought about people listening, I think it's about, like, that this is something that nurtured and created a lot of incredible things, but was essentially like, you know, a, a small thing that right. punched above its weight or whatever. Like, like, let's talk about like the, you know, the alumni, I guess there's, there's many people that like you said that rolled through flying Lotus was very much like one of the, you know, names um, that was associated with it as well as like, Kate Renato was playing there. Um, I swear I saw some like, 
was it? Uh, okay, um, Anderson Pack and yeah. that sort of thing, and and then Thundercat, I think, was was yeah. there, and you know, the early days of Brain Feeder, and uh, they definitely seem to have been at that time this this thing that formed this community that a lot everyone listening to this knows the people I just mentioned they are all very famous now mm-hmm. <laughs> they all did shit like yeah what how how do you like can can like you lived through it and you saw it and you've seen the other side of it like how does something like that because that doesn't happen all the time where a night is like has that many people roll through that they all kind of succeed in various different forms mm-hmm. and um yeah, it uh, and and be such a like as you say, like a, a quite a tight knit small thing. Like, how did how do you think it they turned into that from this like little group? I think, especially knowing the flip side of of nightlife in general, and the fact that there are not very many spaces that encourage experimentation. Um, or give people a platform or the opportunity to share or to experiment publicly. Mm. Like, you know, even from when I was DJing, like when I first started, fuck, you go play somewhere and it's like, don't play this, don't play that, don't play this. This is the vibe and do this and don't do that. And you're getting texts like, change it. So-and-so doesn't like this song. Like, so-and-so's coming and put this on. It was like, that's what most places were like DJing, Mm. you know? And unless you're like playing some, you know, random little, little thing. But for the most part, nightlife was a certain experience. And so you had that option, go to a club and hear stuff or play stuff that is very much curated. And even if you're pushing the boundaries, it's still digestible by the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So you have that, then you have concert touring world Mm -hmm. where You can go to a show and it's like you're buying a ticket for an artist and maybe their opener is cool and you can have a discovery moment there. Mm -hmm. Or we had blogs. So, or SoundCloud, you know, Mm -hmm. like when SoundCloud was in its heyday, like we kind of had all those nuggets, but there wasn't a space that took elements from all of that community, uh, just night, nightlife, fun vibes, experimentation and, big ass speakers to hear some cool shit on. Like there, there wasn't anything like that. So I think the fact that this was a space that really um, amplified and supported and platformed experimentation and supported artists doing things that were not like, I don't know, expected of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that really gave it an air of um, credibility, number one, which is what brought so many of these, you know, why Tom York and Erica Badu are trying to come through because it's like this place on an art level is so trusted and safe wow. that you can go in there and do your thing and you know people are there to receive it. People are, are there to receive whatever you have to share. Wow. And you're not there to perform in a like – I'm a glorified iPod for you. It's a, what do I have to share? And, you know, 
people being grateful for that sharing. That's so beautiful. Like, no joke, I've got goosebumps. I'm not just, (laughs) because like, not to make it about me, but I think that like, I exist in a space where I get embarrassed when I speak to real DJs to say that I DJ because like, I play music that's not necessarily to rave to, you know, and and the culture at that large. That makes it even harder. That makes it even fucking harder. Right, right. And it, and, and the culture at large needs to make money and they need people to drink and all that sort of stuff. And and I've struggled to find my place in space as a music fan, enthusiast, selector, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the platform that has been building with me is me starting to realize there are a lot of people like me that like, you can like dance music and club music. That's great. But it's like, I like listening to really interesting stuff. I like listening to jazz loud and having as good of an experience, but there's not many spaces for that. So when you said that about the open-mindedness, about feeling Mm -hmm. comfortable, feeling safe, uh, it's fucking cool. And I don't think it happens much because it's like when you said about it's kind of a concert. It's kind of like a variety of different things. It's like there's not many places like that exist because there is like a usually this monetary driver that says, well, right. people don't want that and it's not fun and it's not all this sort of stuff. And yeah. um, how does that, how does that safety, like safe space, if you will, like how does that get, um, promoted like how do people know that this is a place where you can be open-minded like is it was it just the culture at the time that people were designing that i was i had a question about like the edm scene like that Mm -hmm. that it was kind of peak time at that time so was this like something different that was like not shiny shiny edm like what was it that made it feel like a community there i mean when when the like major edm wave hit the like 2011, 2012, 2013, Calvin Harris, like bottle popping confetti, Swedish house mafia, like that whole nugget. Loen was already established prior to that. Mm. And it did, it did bloom more over the years. And, and that could be for a multitude of reasons. Um, But I think it truly was a word of mouth Mm -hmm. thing. And it was very, I think that's also what made it such a, quintessential LA thing because it really was like for the, it was for the community. It Mm. was for people who could get there, you know, and this was pre live streaming shit. This was pre social media, like Instagram videos and all that. Like it was really like you had to fucking be there. Mm. And if you knew it was happening, you showed up. Mm. And I think also once, once it started to be a thing where, you know, um, kind of surprise guests were coming often or like major epic things. Like I remember I was there one night when um, Flying Lotus had a Captain Murphy, like alter ego thing. And at the time, nobody knew it was him wow. like publicly. And so he was coming to low end to do a like, I forget if they even announced it. I knew, I knew it was happening, but he was doing a, a Captain Murphy thing and he was coming in with a, a whole like cape. And I think Tyler, the creator, walked in with him too but um but it was like everybody was like oh fuck i can't miss this like nobody knew who captain murphy was no one fucking knew yeah but it was like word got around that that was happening that night and so people show the fuck up 
Wow. It's like they, there was a big kind of FOMO element, I yes. guess. But like a fear of missing a like epic music experience yeah. versus fear of like not being seen somewhere. Wow. You know? I, like before, prior to us even meeting, like if someone asked me, like, have you heard about the Captain Murphy gig? I would mm-hmm. have been you know, able to say low end theory. Like I was like on the blogs, I was experiencing it the next day type thing mm-hmm. and just going like, oh shit, that sounds insane. And like, yeah. this is a small, tiny little, not tiny, but like a, a small thing. Like I'm, I might be over intellectualizing at this point, but like, is there like this byproduct that low end theory comes from this like, like you said, like the dealer-esque beat scene, there's like a, obviously a storied soul or origins of soul and jazz in the US. And then it's and then there's hip hop and there's sampling. And then there's this moment where people are starting to accept that, as well as like new technology coming in and that sort of stuff. And that kind of space creating, not itself, but there was like fertile ground for like, there's a history there. There's a community that respects this stuff. And there's a movement there because I'm thinking like in Sydney where I am now, or like other places, if you're in like, I don't know, no shade, but like Milwaukee, I don't know. Yeah. Could that exist there or could it only have existed in an LA, maybe in New York type thing? You know, do you, do you it think? Would, it, would, it would totally have to be like a, a major Metro just because there's, there's got to be enough people mm. that go against the grain to support something like that, you know? And unfortunately, I, I don't think there are big enough communities like that in yeah. smaller Midwestern towns just because there's just not the same amount of people. Yeah. There's not the same exposure to so many different um, things. And I think that's definitely where I think it, did so well in LA because it's such a major melting pot of a city. You've got, you know, downtown action, you've got beach kids, you've got East LA kids, you've got the suburb kids, everyone drives, everyone can get wherever, everyone, mm-hmm. there's so many different cultural background, backgrounds, there's so many different experiences. And to have a place where all those experiences and backgrounds can kind of throw their puzzle piece in the ring and create something out of that and feel like um, they belong. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of spaces are very like clicky or like, you know, it's, this is your niche. And if you're not of this background or you you don't have this money or you don't have these things or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you don't feel included. And I think this was such a place for, where so many people could feel included in different ways. Mm, mm. It was just, and that comes back to the accessibility part of it. it. It was like anybody can show up and fit in because there is no fitting in. There's nothing to fit into. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. It's kind of formless and therefore it's, yeah. <laughs> it can be who you are. A message from my new sponsor, Hell Yeah, which is Turntable Lab. So, Turntable Lab has been a trusted source for audio gear and records for over 20 years. They specialize in turntables, turntable setups, and accessories. Everything for both beginners and hi-fi enthusiasts. The Lab also operates as a dynamic online record store with over 100,000 
records in stock. Do you think they got kind of blue? I would say so. Take advantage of their four or more deal where you automatically get 10% off when you purchase four or more records. Check them out at turntablelab.com. I, ha I had a thought that I've been meaning to ask you about this because I feel like it's it's somewhat like not fair to, to not talk about kittens Lauren within the world of this at the same time like who was she who who what was she up to you know you played there a few times you said like did you, were you a fan turned you know DJ within it were you like yeah what what was your your journey and experience with within it that loan theory is what got me to start DJing I started wow. going and I was just fucking like mind blown, googly eyed in awe because I just, I hadn't experienced music like that before. And it was so, um, so moving for me. And I, I grew up as a dancer. Like I did national competition teams, like the whole nine that was like big, big, big part of my life and identity as a, a child growing up and throughout high school and um, early college. And then, you know, I was like, I'm not going to be a professional dancer. So I, I stopped because there's there wasn't anything for adults, really. So my main way of interacting with music, which was dance, was gone. There was kind of this empty void for mm. me as far as like hobbies go, but also just ways to connect with music and music was always such a massive part of my life for mm -hmm. so many different reasons. So then I started going to low end and I was just like, just overwhelmed. And I wanted, I wanted to, to do that. I wanted to be able to express myself that way. I wanted to experience that. I wanted to feel those things and be able to make other people feel what I was feeling and share. And like, I, I was just obsessed, but I was really scared. Um, it was very like, you know, I, I think all we had was like, there was like Toki Monster and Marianne Hobbs. And I think that was kind of it as far as I, I'm, I, I hope I'm not leaving anyone out, but at, at that time there weren't really any girls that I could be like, okay, cool. So that's kind of where maybe it was not, not accessible, but like, I think just across the board in DJ culture, there was a major lack of, of female representation. So I felt a little bit like, I don't know if I can do this because it's, it's a big thing to, especially back then you're buying, you know, full on turntables. Like this was not CDJ time. It was you're buying turntables and records and an expensive ass mixer. And I'm a broke college student at the time. So there was that obstacle to entry. And then the, the identity, can I do this? what what would it look like for me to do something like this um would i be accepted in in the community in that part of it or is this just something that would exist in my bedroom and if so is that cool with me so eventually i got to the point where um there was this off not offshoot but it was kind of like a almost like a satellite party connection in orange county at, at the spot called the crosby and it was like run by um a couple of guys, but one of them was in the same music scene. His name was Free the Robots. So he had the spot in Santa Ana and they did kind of a similar thing. They had DJs and they would have similar like low-end-esque people come out there and do stuff once in a while. 
And I was there one night and I heard some guy talking about his cousin selling turntables. And I was like, I'll take them. And I, I just went for it. Um, and I started, I started just like fucking around and trying to learn. And I had, um, thankfully, like I, I made friends with a lot of, a lot of the other, you know, DJs and artists in the scene. So I was learning from one of my friends who was like an old scratch battle DJ. And then, uh, gas lamp killer, who was one of the residents at low end would like come and help me practice. And, you know, like it, it was just, I felt very welcomed in that way and supported. And, you know, I'm like learning to mix on Dilla beats, which is so fucking hard looking back. Like why? That's, That's like, like really hard. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? That's, that was a really bad idea. Just why? But, um, but yeah, so anyways, long story short, I was kind of learning in, in that world and it was nice because I was able to play shit I liked. And when I started DJing other places, I learned very quickly that that kind of vibe is only really welcome at low end. Wow. Because I was getting hit up to DJ like other local parties or like I'm, you know, I was very much a part of the queer scene here mm-hmm. in LA and people were like, oh, you're DJing. Oh, you should like DJ this like gay party. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I go up there and I'm playing like fucking Mad Lib and, <laughs> and like, you know, like, <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> like, can you, can you not? Where's, where's like, Calvin? Where's Calvin Harris? <laughs> yeah. And so I was having to learn very quickly how to uh, assimilate musically. Yeah. Wow. With Without totally sacrificing my my taste i guess so i I found ways to kind of merge stuff that was more accessible and like i do kind of like two for them one for me (laughs) selection wise i love that get myself through um but yeah so so i started djing and um i was still in college i was wrapping it up and i ended up becoming kid cuddy's tour dj that's a whole other story ended up yep it just it happened um so i was i was cuddy's tour dj i decided you know i'm not gonna like go the normal path of like day job vibes after i graduated college i was like let me just let me just give the dj thing a a real real shot Mm -hmm. so i dj'd for him for a while and then i was doing my own thing and i was really kind of jumping between worlds of doing the more mainstream stuff because it paid and doing stuff that was more for my like soul fulfillment and like artistic satisfaction, I guess. Mm. And I remember the first time I got asked to play low end, I was shitting my fucking pants. (laughs) I like, I've, I've played Coachella and EDC and like some of the biggest festivals out here. I was more nervous for low end. Wow. Hands down. Hands fucking down. Because th- that small room, welcoming lovely people, but it meant so much to me mm. that I was like, I want to, I want to feel like I, um, I'm making the space proud, and I'm like wow. worthy of of this. I'm worthy of this opportunity. Wow! So I was really, really freaked out for that. But wow, it's yeah, uh, I don't know. You're making me think about like. 
like DJing is often a service in a sense. Like, and I'm not saying like, you know what I mean? Like it, it's not always about people are coming for the DJ and people are coming for their taste. That does happen. But a lot of the time it's play what people want, play what fits this this space and what the expectations help get people lit, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, make sure people have and, a good time. Yeah, and that's it, it's it's a vocation. It's an industry. People make a lot of money out of it. If people are very happy with it, but then there's like like you said, there's the low end. There's a there's a community there, and it's like, are you contributing what you got out of it? There's more of an exchange, which is crazy and cool. And it does make sense why it was rare. It makes sense why it can't happen everywhere for the reasons we've discussed. But it's also like you're not there to, like, as I'm sure you've seen a lot of, like, a lot of people can be DJs or can say they're DJs and they can play dance music that sounds like you're a DJ. But then, like, adding that layer on top of like, I have an opinion, I have a original flavor and taste and I want to contribute something that you specifically are going to feel something different about mm-hmm. is a whole other set of things that would have been going through your mind. As you said, mm-hmm. how did it go? Fine. Great. I, I was just, I was just nervous as fuck the whole time. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, I was freaking out. And I remember, cause I was really good friends with a uh, gas lamp killer mm-hmm. And he was one of the residents there and had been one of the people to like help me learn how to DJ. And so part of me was like, all right, he'll, like, yeah, he'll be there. So like, it'll be cool. And he's like, I'll be up there with you. Like, you'll be fine. And he couldn't come that night. I forget why, but he didn't. It, something no. happened where he was there that night. And I was like, fuck. So yeah, he couldn't be there. And also I was like, I was using turntables and vinyl at this point. I was using Serato, but still, you know. Yeah. And like, if if you DJ on turntables or have in the past, like there's a million parts and things that have to all be balanced perfectly, mm. especially when there's bass involved because mm. needles will jump and, you know, there's vibrations and mm-hmm. things will skip. And it's just, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of things to worry about. Mm-hmm. So I was like fussing with that stuff while like being shaky and I was just like kind of blacked out trying to get through it. But how far in how far into your DJ career was this? This was maybe like a few years in. I want to say maybe it was like twenty fifteen. Okay, twenty fourteen. No, it was yeah, it was. It was probably 2014. So I've been DJing for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. You, you'd put in the work. You were you were grinding away. I knew what I was doing. I was just like, I, I was so fucking panicky. Yeah, that I, of course. It was overwhelming. Um, I want to kind of move into two other spaces as we kind of like, you know, we're a good 45 minutes in now about mm-hmm. like the lasting impact and, and, and the present because it ended. Right, it it ended. Yeah. Um, do you know why it ended? I think there was there was a few reasons, but for the most part, it had been going on for over ten years, wow. and 
you know, times change and people move on and, you know, the, the main core people just had some life changes. And I think people that were going religiously every week were kind of like growing in different places and Mm. growing up and starting families and, you know, just nightlife became different. The music consumption became different. So it just, yeah, I think they just decided to call it quits. And it, it, it does make sense. It has to end at some point. Like otherwise it just becomes a, a club night that everyone knows about and is a thing that just happens every Wednesday. And it's like, Oh yeah, that thing, like it, it yeah. doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. What is the lasting impact? Someone that lived through it, experienced it, played at it. Like how, how, how will it be seen? How is it seen now? It's hard to know how other people see it, especially the newer generation, because like, I, I realize that's, time has gone on so much mm-hmm. and I, it still blows my mind I, in my head. It's still like 2015 right now, <laughs> but apparently there's a whole other generation that are <laughs> adults and Sorry doing shit. <laughs> so weird. But, um, I mean, to me and, and everyone I know who is kind of grown up or started in or, or was sort of inspired by that scene or artists in and around that scene, it, I think it was really foundational And I think that's something that is important for a lot of people to carry with them and look back to that um, it's okay to color outside the lines. And there is, there's people that are ready to receive stuff like that, you know, so don't feel like you have to be somebody or something other than who or what you really are. Beautiful. I'm just sitting there, like, kind of taking that all in. Like, do do you think um, when you say cons- music consumption has changed, do you think it's harder than ever? Just reading between the lines, is it harder than ever to have something like that? And why, how does that relate, do you think, to, like, music consumption? I mean, I think, I mean, the reality is, everybody's attention span and consumption habits are just like so different where there's, there's a new song and a new artist and a new this, and you're just eating it up and, and, you know, not really letting things settle and um, leave a a mark on you almost, Mm. Mm. you know? And I think, May you know maybe something like that would work, but I feel like people are just too um, eager to consume so much so quickly that it's almost hard to give attention to a space that is about letting things be grounded and mm-hmm. and like bloom in a natural organic way. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. I feel you. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that a space like that would be so embraced right now because of how much people are consuming and how quickly things fly around. Yes. Maybe people would be like, oh, fuck, thank God I could just be here and be yes. present. And I don't have to have an algorithm shoving shit in my face. I just know, like, this is going to be good and I'm going to wow. enjoy whatever I get. Yes. That's uh, I, it, I'm probably safe to say it's getting better and worse at the same time. Like, yeah. Uh, I've got a lot of young friends, a lot younger than me, and 
you'll say, have you heard of New Order? And then mm. they'll say no. And then two hours later have digested the whole catalog and yeah. have a very strong opinion about it. And mm. I try and not know to- all the offshoot bands that were from the same scene. Right. And I-, I try not to be old about it. And I think you're similar. Like I'm not trying to be like, and therefore the, that generation is worse, but mm. it's so different that it's yeah. the, I think about a lot the music as a commodity, as content, as like not just an emotional sort of thing that you live with, like you said, for a long time, but something you just kind of try on and then move on, which to your point can be worse, but then also there's probably a craving for it more than ever. Um, Do you see things out in the world that have like that existing like that at the moment, do you think? Like low end? Yeah, or like, yeah, like open-minded community music, you know, discovery institutions. In terms of definitely in like the dance music end of things, Mm -hmm. people are much more open and eager. And I think actually, I know a lot of people are up in arms about this, but the whole like Skrillex, Fortet, Fred again, trio <laughs> shit that's People happening. People love the kind of the d- divides music fans around the world. Yeah. But honestly, like it's especially just looking at their, their Coachella performance and all these pop-ups they've been doing. It's very anti the, what we've thought of as like an electronic headliner. Yes. It's stripped down. It's gritty. It's, just going off vibes it is you know it's it's all just very present and i'm gonna play whatever the fuck i want to play right now and i'm gonna just cut out of this track and jump into this one and i've got wires all over the place it's yeah. like beautifully chaotic and i think that leaves space for people to get messy and experiment yeah you know yeah yeah no Everybody's i so polished it's like oh everything's so fucking polished and shiny and yes LED balls with whatever and like all the djs look like you know the same polished white dude like yeah it's kind of standing on the table with their four cdjs kind of doing this yeah, which like good for them but it's just you know it's nice to see something different not to not to digress into this this space but i think that there's been a lot of analysis by music people industry people dance music people because like the the music heads are like, what the fuck is this guy out of nowhere? He seems like he's really rich, Fred, or whatever. And then... I mean, yes, he's a Nepo baby, for well, yeah, sure. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, and then on the other side, I saw someone post a, on the EDM subreddit, like, what is this? It's so messy. I don't... Like, how is this? And, like, both communities, unless mm-hmm. you're the people just having fun in the middle, which is what you should be doing, both communities are like, what the fuck is this? And that... That's why people are talking about it because it's it's yeah. shaking things up that haven't has yeah. needed shaking up, but not in the way that we expected. It was not it's not punk. Yeah. It's just like we're just having fun. What what do you what do you think we're doing? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. So you no, know, you're right. It's a good point. It is kind of happening in a different way. Yeah. Um, do you where where do you think where do you think it's headed? And I guess. I, it's a bit of a leading question because I see a lot of like communities form on the internet, but I know that's not real life. Well, it is real yeah. life. It is real life. It's not, but it's like not a person. physical. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, where, where do you see as a music fan, as a DJ, as a person that has experienced this stuff, where do you, where do you see 
these cultural institutions existing or, or yeah, what does the future look like in, in your mind? You know, I don't know if there'll ever be something specifically like that, but I do see places, especially in LA, there's been a lot of um, different parties popping up and their focus is, is partying. It's a lot more like dancing and partying, mm. but they're doing stuff that is, um, you know, more culturally based or there's like the, the root of it is like Arabic inspired dance music or like world music. There's a, there's a handful of parties in LA that are very focused on world dance music, mm. which I think is really cool and different. Mm. And those are popping off and people are having a fucking blast. I don't know if it has the same cultural let's, you know, band together and make a community and, you know, enjoy this music together mm. versus a like, let's have fun. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I really, I feel like there's no way to know until something pops up and mm. we go, that's it. Mm. And it, as someone who does to think about this stuff all the time, you think it's going to happen a certain way and it never does that yeah. way. Uh, mm -hmm. When is, when a guitar, when is rock coming back? And it's like, it doesn't come back. It's, it might be completely different and they might not have guitars type thing. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Kittens, I think this this conversation. I I now understand why like we had this first rapport on DMs that like I was really intrigued by this chat because I think it's like there's so much to take away. It's inspiring. It's educational. I think, like I said, it, it gives you goosebumps to think about like how a motivation can turn into a community that can turn into careers that can turn into inspiring millions of people type thing from a thing that's just about allowing things to be and not trying to be anything else but that that's mm -hmm. fucking wild and i think it's like it's very cool that you're a part of it that i also appreciate that you think about these things because I, I don't know if everyone does you know maybe they just had their fun and moved on like it, do you I like feel to like deconstruct and analyze everything all the time? So that's what we have in common. <laughs> um, yeah, is is that everyone mustn't think like this about it? Like, is it just you must obviously recognize that it was a, a significant thing that that formed a large part of who you are? Well, it's how you got started in a lot of things, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, because I'm a big, uh, I love to reminisce and I have a lot of like really, I guess, stories that were really impactful and memories that were really impactful for me from that time. Mm. And I'm also, I'm getting older. So I'm like, fuck, I don't want to remember. I don't, or I don't want to forget these things. So I literally have a note in my phone where when I remember a crazy story from something that happened, I put it down because I'm so like, I, that was so wild that if I go long enough, I might be like, did that really happen? Yeah. Or did I dream that? Yeah. So I reminisce a lot and it was really impactful for me. And I'm sure it was just as impactful for other people, but I'm sure a lot of other people were like, that was fun. Whatever. That was my Wednesday night thing that I did. Like, and that's okay too. That, yeah. Yeah. There's value in, in all those different experiences. I, I have a feeling like a lot of people would have bought turntables from it. People like me, like, you know, 
I was obsessed with Captain Murphy. I was then obsessed with all the samples and then that put my taste in this box and all that sort of thing. So there's really like a effect that you never really know about from these sort of things. Um, thank you so much for, for this and your time. Um, I will share like all your things of where people can follow you in the show notes, but is there anything... You know, where can people find you? What what are you what are you up to that people can kind of keep it up to date with? I'm I'm on all the social medias. <laughs> <laughs> I am kittens is across everything. Like I am baby cats. Um, and yeah, I'm just I'm just working on music and uh, getting back out there DJing again post COVID vibes. Like back into my normal swing of things so i'm excited for that so i'll be in a bunch of different cities um i have my restaurant situation going on in la um my podcast is coming back in a few weeks so she her day if if you want to check that out a lot of a lot a lot of very highly regarded guests on there so far yeah 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 i'm excited actually we're i'm expanding it a bit too because i feel like the idea for all of that was people who transcend identity expectations mm. and it started based off of a playlist that was queer women artists. Mm. So that's why all the guests were like basically the biggest like queer women in music. Amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, that's going to be kind of expanding across different, um, different identities, different industries and people who have inspiring stories and experiences. Beautiful. Well, uh, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, if they if they didn't know about you, um, are now big fans of you. And um, thank you so much. And uh, that was really excellent. And that was Kittens Speaks Volumes yeah. on this episode. <laughs> volumes and volumes about low-end theory and, and life mm-hmm. and community. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll speak next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>